Welcome to the Anxious Conservative Podcast. Uh, I'm Liam here, one of the uh, hosts, and the other host uh, is Monique Poirier. Hi, hi, Monique. How's things going? I'm a bit, I'm a bit sick, so please don't laugh at laugh at my voice if it if it disappears. Well, it sounds sounds fine now, so God willing. But uh, <laughs> we are joined today. Um, we're very lucky to be joined by Matt Ducey, who is a um, National Party MP and the spokesman for uh, mental health issues. Um, and uh, so we won't, we'll won't. we we'll cut out all the normal crap that we do and we'll just jump straight <laughs> into talking to Matt because his time is valuable. But hello, Matt. Thanks That's for coming cool. on. Hello. Hey, I've got heaps of time, so let's take <laughs> our time. All right. Well, um, so, uh, Monique, do you want to you kick us off? Yeah, so I guess the first major question is, does New Zealand have a mental health crisis? Yeah, I think it's a good question. First, before we use words, we should probably understand what we mean by them. Mm -hmm. And I suppose in a mental health context, if you are having a mental health crisis, it means the inability to cope um, with stresses and other things. And I, I suppose if you applied that to our mental health system, uh, it's very clear and very evident to me and a lot of New Zealanders that at times part of our mental health system uh, has, it, it can't cope. And so, by definition, I think at times parts of the system is in crisis. Yeah, and um, I mean, it's it's not that's not a I mean, it's been building for a while, hasn't it? Um, mm. And so, um, you know, obviously, um, National had some some ideas about that for the last election. Would you be able to give us a rundown of, of those? Yeah, I mean, fair to say, New Zealand, like many um, other countries around the world have seen a huge increase in people presenting to mental health services. Mm. Uh, and, and, and some of that's actually quite a success. And what I mean by that is we're seeing the dial turn where people are more open to come forward and ask for help. And we saw a, a great amount of that need under the last national government. F fair to say, you know, let's be honest, I think we were very slow to respond. But in 2017, we announced $100 million for 17 social investment mental health initiatives and some of them were you know cutting edge one was putting mental health professionals with our uh, emergency responders because quite often when someone rings up in distress you know we get the police sent out which is not really well in, in my part of the woods of north canterbury it's the volunteer fire men and women so it, it's not always the best response and for us it was about pairing up mental health professionals to go out in that time of crisis well that that's a really interesting one because i was reading about a about a month ago or maybe two months ago about how they had done they had done something similar and it was in denver um but it was you know the, the example was in denver but it's been done in different jurisdictions in the united states where they have made it a habit of sending out mental health professionals um, on emergency calls and mm. it's um, really reduced hugely first of all the amount of arrests that have occurred because you know often mm. often a mental health worker is just the right person to diffuse the situation so that was a that was a policy that that dates back to like that before the change of government didn't it? that was the 2017 era policy what what happened with that did it um is it still kicking around or did the government scrap it no, the, the government canned it. When they first came mm -hmm. in, you know, here's a government that rode into power on the back of many people's pain and mental health uh, and prioritised it. Yet their first uh, uh, act with the pen was to um, cut those 17 mental health initiatives, reprioritise mm -hmm. that $100 million elsewhere. And what's interesting is um, Capital and Coast DHB has 
just started that pilot around emergency responders um, and mental health professionals, and they're having to deliver it out of their baseline funding. So that's that's real concerning because for me and many members of parliament will know, um, crisis is one of the biggest issues that comes through your mm. door uh, in an MP's office. And most people think they've been let down in times of crisis. What was the, what what was was the thing? The, yeah, okay. go on, Monique. What was the um, reasoning that Labor gave for scrapping those 17 policies? Oh, it was pretty perfunctory at the time. I remember... Um, uh, questioning, in fact, who was their health minister at the time? It's a few ago, David Clark, I think. Yeah, and, Dr. David um, Clark. Yeah, worst <laughs> health minister in the history of New Zealand, I think. <laughs> and um, it was pretty perfunctory. I think he said, well, National never appropriated the money, so um, we've put it elsewhere. And it, it was disappointing because those 17 mental health initiatives were actually designed by mental health mm. academics, experts, leaders in the field so is what they had put forward that that was my first sort of encounter of um you know the, 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 i think the shortcomings of politics at, at mm. sometimes you know that that three-year cycle where new governments come in and change things so uh, i i initiated last year um parliament's first cross-party mental health group and the idea of that, a bit like climate change, if we can set, you know, a 10-year plan, then yeah. hopefully we can get all parties to buy into it. Well, that sounds great. So the idea is you'd have that buy-in so it's not so um, subject to uh, being canned or scrapped or reviewed mm. just because the government changes. Because it's not, it shouldn't be a party um, partisan issue, really, should it at all, you know? No, no, not at all. I think if we all, you know, have the, the same goals, we can argue a bit around the edges of some of the best policies to get there. But arguably, if we all set that goal, um, then we should all be working towards it. Because let's not forget the government's own mental health inquiry set an indicative target of increasing access from about 3.7% mm. to about 20%. We, we should all be going towards in that direction. So the, um, the 17 um, sort of initiatives that were scrapped, what were they replaced with? Um, a mental health inquiry, which basically mm. kicked the can down the road. Um, yeah. They spent six and a half million dollars. Uh, they got, you know, thousands of people to come often and tell their traumatic and, and, and heart-wrenching stories. Um, and then they delayed the report. And now even the Mental Health um, Foundation CEs come out and just said there's no roadmap, there's no plan for those recommendations, which... I think it's a real kick in the guts for people who came along and told their stories. Yeah, mm. so so another another working group, um, in, in other words, albeit a, a pretty supercharged and expensive one, but just the same old story of producing recommendations that don't don't get acted on. That's just just the the thing that we've heard in so many other sectors. It's the same with mental health, presumably. Yeah, I, I, I think so. And then just add on, you know, the complexity of people sharing their heartfelt and very personal and traumatic stories mm. of either themselves and their families. And, you know, any any member of parliament has a responsibility to respond to that. So where's that $1 billion going right now that they've invested? Yeah, good, good question. So in <laughs> budget 2000 and what was it, 19, a couple of years ago now, they announced um, $1.9 billion for mental health, mm. which, you know, um, in the retail world of politics sells pretty well. 
and um, the the media picked up on it. But in fact, when you drill down on that amount of money, only 883 million is for uh, mental health services. Mm. A large part of that was going towards uh, the state abuse inquiry. Large mm. part of it was going into housing. Look, all very good issues. Don't get me wrong, but. Uh, I, I think it was a bit misleading saying, you know, mm. some of it was for pay parity. Um, but out of that 883 million, just to give you a good example, um, 455 million of that's been tagged for this new frontline mental health service to be rolled out of four or five years. But um, mm. my my questioning in the house shows that they've only spent about 67 million mm. of that 455. Mm. And just the other day, I got a story up where July last year, they announced $25 million for mental health services in universities. That's right, you know? yeah. And 10 months later, they haven't even spent $1 of that. So we're quickly learning they're announcing a lot of money, but actually, um, you know, ironically for a Labour government, they're struggling to spend it. <laughs> so you're the, um, you're the national spokes um, for mental health um, issues and things like that. Who's, yep. your, who's your counterpart on the government benches? Oh, well, it's, they don't differentiate. So it's the health minister. So I've got Andrew up against little. Clark, mm. then Hipkins, yeah. and, and now Little. Yeah, so so there's no um, there's no dedicated government minister who is, I suppose, um, has as their job, this is a specific, discrete portfolio. No, no, no uh, that's part of the problem, I think. Yeah, and so 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 it's, a, it's a, a pioneering thing for National to have done in a way, to have sort of segregated out or separated out the portfolio you you're the first one to hold that portfolio for national i take it yeah so when we went into opposition in um 2017 i fought pretty hard to have a specific spokes role um not everyone in my caucus was convinced um but i, I knew it was the right way forward i mean a because uh there's so much um importance put on mental health in new zealand at the moment you know if politics is about timing I think the time has come for mental health. I probably couldn't mm -hmm. be having these conversations if I was a member of parliament 10 years ago. So it's fantastic that we're able to, to deep dive into it. And I think you need a spokesperson to do that. So if there was a snap election tomorrow and then somehow against all the odds the National Party won it, you'd be the Minister for Mental Health Issues. But sort of within the Ministry of Health, you'd be sort of, have your own sort of, port, sort of portfolio within, within that. Is that right? Yeah, well, I, I do like your confidence, Liam. Um, you clearly see that you're clearly seeing polling. I'm not, but I'll go with yours. Um, that that that's right. So a lot of jurisdictions around the world, um, you know, Scotland, Canada, uh, 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 state parliament in Australia are moving to a, a mental health minister model. Now, just to caveat for that, it's not a mental health ministry. Um, what yeah. it is 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 developing a cross department mental health strategy if anything we're learning now in mental health you need to get mental health out of health um, mm -hmm. it's partly health it's partly education it's partly corrections it's partly msd yeah. Yeah. Um, housing um, all, all of the above and you need one single person driving it and and um, respectfully banging my colleagues heads together and saying yeah. what are you doing about mental health in your in your portfolio yeah so kind of being like the mental health champion within within the cabinet i suppose yeah, I, I think so. And also being accountable and responsible because mm. what we're seeing at the moment, you know, no targets have been set. We had the issue around the sanitised mental health annual report where negative statistics were reduced. 
there's just no accountability and I think people expect there should be accountability. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty frustrated with the way in which Labour weaponized um mental health in the 2017 election to then go completely silent on it almost. Apart from that 1.9 um billion dollar investment which, you know, hasn't come to any sort of fruition. So um yeah, I'm, I'm quite glad that you don't weaponize it. I, I watch Question Time and I, I think it's done really respectfully. So I, I'm really glad about that. Yeah, well, I mean... Yeah, yeah. And, and... Sorry, go on, Matt. Oh, well, I, I was just going to say that um, it's been my approach right right from the mm-hmm. start because I, I don't think we should be playing politics with mental health and that's one mm-hmm. reason I initiated the cross-party group to, to depoliticize it because um, I don't think anyone wins when we're trying to um, score political points with suicide mm. statistics like they did mm-hmm. to oh. us. Yeah. No, so who, who else is involved in the, um, all, the, the all-parliament sort of group or the cross-parliamentary group? Has, have you got a good buy-in from other parties? Yeah, very much so. And I think we've got the leading lights on that group, but I would say that. We've got Louisa Wall from Labour, uh, Chloe Schrawbrick, from the Greens. We used to have David Seymour until um, now he's got a lot more people to choose from and we've got Brooks and Felden. And so it it is pretty much a a makeup of um, Parliament. And I was quite excited. Um, We had Sir John Kerwin launch it uh, a wee while ago in Parliament. And we're just about to take our first report into the debating chamber and debate it. And we released a report called Zero Suicide Aotearoa, which is based on a framework that is used internationally uh, with great success. Uh, Scotland, Canada, parts of Australia, where they take a a zero suicide approach. And it is shifting the dial, and I think we should adopt it here. Oh, brilliant. Okay. Well, um, so if, I mean, if you were to, you know, if the government was to change and you were to be in that role, um, you know, we wouldn't, you wouldn't want to be waiting around to have another um, review or commission or anything like that. So it's great to hear that, you know, that work's been done now to be, to be ready. Um, the, those, those initiatives you talked about before the 2017 election, would they be resurrected in form or have, have you moved on from them? Have you developed, what, what's the, what would be the current plan of attack? Uh, well, the first thing is, um, thankfully, to the Labour government, because so, they're so incompetent about spending money, um, I don't have to worry too much going to our finance spokesperson, Andrew Bailey, to get more money for mental health, because there's a lot of underspend. I yeah. mean, currently, I mean, there's probably about $130 million to play in the underspend that they're supposed to have spent to date. So what we've said, to give a, um, a bit of an overview, um, last year, we put out a policy, we would spend um, uh, urgently $10 million funding 100,000 free counselling sessions. Now, we know we can do that because we did that after the Christchurch earthquake, so Mm, 50,000. It's accessed through the GP. Uh, I work very closely with stakeholders in the mental health sector, and uh, we've got a workforce, the um, NZAC accredited counsellors, who have got capacity and in fact, most of them in secondary care at DHBs at the moment are telling me they've been told there's no more funding for the increasing referrals. So when when the government says, oh, we're not sure we've got the workforce, we do have a workforce that's ready to go. So we could, we could fund them. Uh, we could also, we proposed with our young Nats, I've worked very closely with them around youth mental health, and they've got some great ideas. And, and I must say the young people are just pushing this, aren't they? Because... 
they don't face the stigma or they're more open to talking about their mental mm. health issues than any generation has been before. And, and I've got so much respect for these guys coming through. So we put a, a policy together, $10 million to roll out free psychological first aid. So, you know, St. John's and other providers are getting big in this space now, just like first aid training, but psychological you equip family, friends, neighbours and, and work colleagues to, to, to be better equipped to supporting people with mental health issues. Yeah, the, um, the underspend aspect of it is just, it's mind boggling when you think about it, isn't yeah. it? Because you think of all the groups that are already sort of there to provide help in this space, um, how many of them are saying, what well, we've actually got too much money or we, you know, like we, you know, we don't need it. Um, it's, it's just it's 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 uh, it's hard to get your head around. Is it? Do you think it might just have something to do with the fact that there isn't that dedicated person who's a high-ranking um, uh, person within the government who is the champion across the board to push things? And so it's, for for all the relevant ministers, it's just one other thing on the pile of things to do. Is that? I mean, is that part of it? Do you think? I, I think you're right. So if you look at that twenty-five million dollar funding announcement in July last year for tertiary education providers for mental health, they used words like um, this was going to fast track and accelerate because if you cast your mind back probably about two years ago, we had university students protesting on the forecourt from Vic Uni at Parliament about mental health services and not being able to access them on campus. So, um, you know, when we asked the questions of the government, uh, they said, oh, we've given $2 million to the Polytech. We went to them. They hadn't spent any. Yeah. And they were supposed to have uh, called for RFPs by November last year. None had been called for. And I spoke to one provider who is there already, can scale up. She had been knocking on the health minister's door and no one had responded. And she since told me that a university in the time frame that money was announced has gone from three full-time equivalent mental health workers down to a 0.5. So we've got money sitting there in bank accounts, waiting lists are growing and providers can't get a foot in the door. I mean, it just doesn't add up. You just can't hear that and think it's a priority for the government, can you? I mean, you just can't, you can't hear those statistics and think this is something the government has has actually prioritized apart from press releases. Yeah, well, I think that's the reality. And now with the reforms announced yesterday, um, it's very hard to believe they're going to stay focused on on mm. mental health when they're going to mm. nationalise our, our health service, which, you know, I, I worked for over a decade in the British National Health Service before I came back to New Zealand to get into politics. And boy, you know, if you want to talk about an inefficient health system, you look at the British NHS. You think they've actually made any plans um, in regards to, you know, was it just an announcement and then they'll sort out the detail later? Yeah, well, you, you just wonder, um, you know, A, it's a sugar hit of the announcement. They look mm. as though they're doing things. Yeah. Um, then you find out no one's actually followed up on it. And you, yeah. you do wonder what people in the Ministry of Health are doing as well. Um, and uh, it's just it's just really concerning because that money should have gone out the door uh, as yeah. of yesterday. Mm. There should mm. be services there. And coming back to that indicative target of their own mental health inquiry, We've got to shift the dial from 3.7% of the population up to 20%. Yeah, I mean, with, with regard to the centralisation of the um, of health in general in this country, as was announced yesterday, you've got to have some concern about, um, you know, how their ability to, to deliver on that and to do it properly because 
the announcement just came out of the blue. It would have thrown a lot of people into disarray, mm. including people who are providing mental health services at the moment mm. through the existing structures. So do you have, um, perhaps a dumb question, but do you have a lot of confidence in the ability of the government to carry this out in a way that um, is going to be beneficial for your portfolio, Matt? Um, what I do know is that, you know, Andrew Little was put in the health minister role for a reason. He's a unionist. Um, he'll push through the structural reforms um, at all costs. And I don't think it will be um, for the betterment of our health system. Like I say, I've worked in a nationalised health service. Uh, they're very inefficient. And if I look at my own area of North Canterbury here, you know, to think that people are going to be making decisions miles away from us about yeah. our health services is, mm. is very concerning. Um, and I think they will get so consumed by uh, pushing that through that an area like mental health will just get dropped completely. Yeah, that's got to be the concern. And I think um, one of the, I guess if you were to be a little bit critical of the National Party or to, to say, let's listen to the, let's, let's sort of learn the lessons of the past. You know, in the past when the party, when the party was in government and it pressed for centralisation or amalgamation, there was often the promise of more efficiencies and um, they don't, they never quite eventuate the way that you hope, right? And so I think Auckland Council will be a pretty good example of that. And um, mm -hmm. so, you know, the idea that I think Andrew Little didn't, he didn't say it yesterday, but he was saying today that they're going to reduce a whole lot of the bureaucracy and, and have a lot better, more, you know, money for service provision. But, you know, you might just end up with a much bigger bureaucracy, right? I mean, that's always got to be a risk. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the reforms in the British National Health Service over the last decade, I mean, they've moved to an autonomous model of foundation trusts. So they've actually moved towards the DHB model. And here are we moving the opposite way back to the nationalised health service model. Mm -hmm. So uh, it is it is hugely concerning. And it's something that, you know, we will be going in hard mm -hmm. every day in Parliament to, to battle against. Not to say that, the, that some sort of structural reform wasn't in order, right? I mean, you would probably, yeah, yeah there was some, there's, there probably some things that probably should have been done, but just such a out of the blue, such a massive... Uh, leap into the dark, isn't it? Yeah, look, no one disagrees we had a, a postcode lottery. I'm dealing with a constituent of my electorate who got the good news yesterday. She's going to get the TMJ dual surgery she needs. But uh, it's been about a two-month battle. I've gone mm. in to meet Peter Bramley, the new CEO of the Canterbury District Health Board, and they were quite open. They said if that constituent had lived in another DHB jurisdiction in New Zealand, she would have got that surgery on the public health system. So look, it, it's very clear. Same with mental health. When I travel around the country, some DHBs are very good at different levels of mental health services. Some have got no interest whatsoever. So there was always the issue around postcode lottery. Um, but you just wonder, uh, you know, they were first mooting that they were going to reduce it to 8, 10, 12. Now we've got one. I mean, that's yeah. a big step. Yeah, huge. Mm. So one of the things I, I feel quite strongly about is um, the fact that, and I, and I think this is why young people particularly, um, uh, there are higher rates of, you know, mental health um, illnesses is because we're constantly accessible. So, you know, it doesn't, your boss can ring you at whatever time, you've got your emails on your phone. Um, and of course, there's the social media side of it as well, although that's, that's more with the younger generation. Um, do you think anything can be done um, you know, we're treating mental health, but what do you think can be done to kind of prevent those um, those kind of life that lifestyle from actually affecting people so much? 
yeah, I think that that is a real challenge. And and mm. I take your point. There is this issue that we think a lot of mental health demand is new. And mm. you know, interesting. We've got Anzac Day in a few days. Mm. I mean, are you telling me when our servicemen and women used to come home yeah. after World Wars, you know? Yeah, neighborhoods yeah. and communities weren't yeah. sort of uh, riddled with mental health issues but of yeah. course it was locked up you yeah. never got to see it um so i i, I agree it, there should always be a parallel work stream not only treating mm. mental illness and reducing mm. it but promoting mental well-being mm. and i think sean robinson from the mental health foundation who was interesting not long ago gagged <laughs> by the ministry of health um <laughs> he's been very clear we won't shift the dial without um, ensuring we put resources into promoting well-being. Yeah. And just to finish on that, I'll give you an example, right? So I sit on the Health Select Committee and we get we get these petitions from these very articulate sort of 15, 16, 17-year-old high school students. They come in and with a petition like saying, you know, we want mental health education, resilience training skills in our schools. And we say, yeah, this isn't good enough. And then we go to the Ministry of Education and Ministry of Health and they come out with, you know, a list of resources mm. about a metre high and say, isn't it good we've got this in New Zealand? And mm. there's a real disconnect because we've got mm. all these resources, but still today a kid will leave school without the emotional and resilient mm -hmm. training and skills that they require. So we've got to make sure that's actually going out through our school system. Yeah, well, that is a, that's a good note to end on, I think, because I think you've just sort of summed up a lot of the problems, right? Which is that it's not that there isn't stuff out there and that there isn't material and resources and funding. It's just that it lacks the prioritization and the impetus and the driving of, of connecting those resources and the people. And, um, you know, and some of the stuff you've outlined is really good. Cool. I mean, I really like the idea of the, um, the all the all party um, uh, cross party uh, group on mental health. I didn't know that existed. Did you know that Monique? I didn't. And actually, that, that's another question I have. Parliament, I mean, that can't be good. For, <laughs> that environment <laughs> cannot be great for people's mental health. Oh, yes and no. Sometimes it's good to get it all out of your system yeah. in the uh, <laughs> debating chamber, I, yeah. I find. But, um, you know, uh, yeah. more serious. I mean, you're right. I mean, what is mental health, the inability mm. to deal with stress in your life? Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of pressure on you as a member of parliament. Um, but equally, uh, done right, it's no different than any other mm. job that you can manage. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's, it's just, a, I think that just what you've explained uh, is a great initiative in terms of depoliticizing the issue. And I think, you know, it's a very wise decision not to try to politicize it. I mean, it's annoying when it happens to um, to the National Party side of things, as sort of National Party members like Monique and I would, would agree. Um, but it's, it's, it, is, it is heartening that, you know, that you've taken that initiative to rise above and to reach out to other parties mm. and try to put in place some really firm foundations for a system and, or, or systems that can survive changes of government. Um, so, look, look, Matt, thank you so much for coming on. We'll, we'll let yeah, you get to your family. Um, but, uh, you know, it was really great and we'd, we'd love to have you on again one day. Yeah, please. Thanks for having me. And, and uh, it's been good having a chat, really. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah. Good. Well, don't, Thank don't, you. Forget, don't forget us when you're minister. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Look, you can you can come in and bring me flat whites and cheesecake <laughs> and we can sit around for the afternoon. I'm up for that. All right. Awesome. Okay. All right. Well, thank you, Matt. Cool. Thank Thanks. you.